Numbers 21, 4 through 9, the title of the message, What Are You Looking At? What are you looking at? No. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Have you ever found yourself in a position where, you know, if you were real honest looking back on it, everything really wasn't that bad, but that particular time of day, that particular moment, it just seems like it didn't go well for you, and when it didn't go well for you that one particular moment, it seems like life was horrible. That's what happens with the Israelites. In fact, it happens quite a bit to them, and since people are the same, really, throughout history, you know, we might be able to say, yeah, I've been there. Don't want to do that, but I've been there, okay? So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we messed up. That's the Rick Helgero translation. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a certain serpent bit anyone, he would look, and that's the word I want to focus on, he would look at the bronze serpent, and he would live. Now remember, the title of this message is, What Are You Looking At? So when the Israelites, the Israelites came out of Egypt, just as by way of introduction, they journeyed towards the promised land of Canaan, and unfortunately, they failed to go in the first time because of unbelief. You know what unbelief in the, in the Greek, the word for faith is pistos, all right, or pistis. And so the word for unbelief is apistis, which means no faith. Okay, so anytime you see the word unbelief, it's really the same word with an A in front of it, kind of like we would put anti in front of a word. So it's Apistis, although this is written in Hebrew, it's still the same concept. If you were to go to the Greek translation, it would say apistis. So they, ha they fell into unbelief. They didn't enter into the promised land. God promised the Israelites a land because they didn't believe God. So they were doomed to 40 years of wandering. That generation passed away, and the next generation would be given the opportunity to believe God. And in believing God, they were going to determine whether or not they were going to appropriate his promises or not. So on the way towards the promised land the second time, the Israelites fell, this is our text, into a time of grumbling and complaining and unfortunately, because they did that, they loosed a plague of serpents in their midst. Now, I want you to know that sometimes bad things happen to us because we just live in a world that stuff happens, right? Just everything happens to, to, to us is not God, it's not the enemy. Sometimes stuff just happens, right? Sometimes stuff happens to us because... We're directly the cause of it. What we've done, our behaviors, how, and we want to we say, God, why are you doing this? And it's not really God. It's our own choices, what we did. Right. And in this particular case, the Israelites 
were continually, this wasn't just a one-time thing, they were continually grumbling and complaining, God, what have you done for us lately? There was no gratitude. And I want you to know that gratitude goes a long way with people, but it also goes a long way with God. So anyway, the serpents were loosed in their midst, and after repenting, God gave Moses the solution to their condition and what they were going through. God said, fashion a serpent, put it on a bronze pole. It wasn't a real serpent. It was a, an icon that they put on a pole, and they, they lifted it up. And so I would imagine it had to be pretty high. And so when they lifted it up, anytime someone was bit, God said, if they will look upon the pole or the serpent, then they would be healed. Now, you got to realize this is not a small congregation. This is a congregation of 2 million people. And so we have uh, approximately 35 to 50,000 people in Lake Jackson. We have more in the surrounding areas. And we live, uh, we can live like 20 miles away from each other, right? 10 miles away from each other. Now, obviously, they were living a little closer, but 2 million people, uh, you're not going to be right next to the bronze pole. And so you were going to have to remember what the promise was, and you were going to have to make your way towards the pole, and you were going to have to gaze upon it if you wanted to experience God's solution for the, and at this particular time for this particular thing that they were going through. So now you might ask yourself, how can looking at a pole heal people? Well, in order to answer that, there's another question. Was it really simply looking at it that accomplished the work of healing in their lives? Well, let's look a little closer and see what the scriptures reveal. So the first point we're going to look at, I entitled, Seeing is Believing. Now, there's a little wordplay there because the reality is Jesus said, You believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Well, why did you title it, Seeing is Believing? Because I have a point that I'm trying to make, and if you'll just hold with me, I'm not, being, uh, I'm not going against what Scripture teaches. I'm going to reinforce what Scripture teaches, okay? Numbers 21, 8 through 9, the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and uh, whenever someone's bit, if he will look at the bronze serpent, he will look at it, he will live. Now, interestingly enough, this Scripture is quoted by Jesus. Jesus, in telling Nicodemus about how to enter into the kingdom, at the very end of that speech, he says to him, John 3, 13 through 15, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he didn't say that whoever looks on him, he said that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So in Numbers, the Israelites were to look at the pole. Here Jesus, in referencing the Scripture, gives to us the real meaning of what it meant for the Israelites to look. Jesus was equating looking with believing. You understand what I'm saying? That's why I'm saying seeing what it means in the Old Testament, the real meaning of that is believing. Okay? What the Israelites were to display and what they were displaying when they looked on the pole was faith. They believed what God said. Believing what God said, when they began to do what God said to do, they experienced the power that was in 
the word of God that God had released over them. Okay? So Jesus makes this clear when he translates this passage into language we can understand. It's not simply looking with our natural eyes, but perceiving that what we are looking at, talking about Jesus himself, when we look at Christ, we're not just looking at a historical figure. We're not just looking at a prophetic person. We're not just looking at a a revolutionary what we're looking at is a man but what we're looking at is more than a man what we're really seeing is Emmanuel God with us now a lot of people looked at Jesus and they didn't see that but they weren't looking with eyes of faith they were looking with natural eyes but the people that heard him and experienced him they said when he said to him who do you say that I am well some people say you're the prophet some people say you're this and he said but who do you say that I am he said you're the Messiah you're the Son of God you see it's not just looking on Jesus some of us have the opportunity to go to Sunday school uh, I actually was thinking about this this morning I, I was telling my wife I said I'm, I'm astounded at kids when they come to church without their parents right I was driving to church and and uh, and Brooklyn learned how to drive and she just whisked right by me at 80 miles an hour no just kidding I'm just kidding no it's not true that's not true she just drove and say they all waved at me you know and say see you later old man you know but anyway they were coming to church now, Mom had not been feeling well, and I think Brandon hadn't been feeling well, or he came a little bit later, but they came to church without their parents. That just, I thought, that's awesome. And I think about the kids that, um, that get on the, on the van, and they don't have parents that bring them to church. They just get on the van. I want to go to church, and, hey, y'all want to go? Yeah, my kids want to go, and they come, and thank you for picking them up. That's amazing that you do that. And I just, it just warms my heart. And then I think I've told you before, you know, that, that in my life, when I got saved, I, I, I was the first one in my family that got saved, and, and then my mother, my, my father. Now, the Lord used me. I'm not saying he didn't, but then I got to thinking about my, my little brother. My little brother, he walks with the Lord, but he has his ups and his downs. But I remember when he was six or seven years old, and he will tell you he used to go because he liked the donuts. <laughs> but you know what he did? He would get up on Sunday mornings. And when the bus would come by, he'd get on that bus, and he'd go to Sunday school. And I called him this morning. I said, Marco, you probably had more to do with our family coming to the Lord than what you'll ever know. Because of your faithfulness to go to church and your faithfulness to walk with God and do, uh, do uh, uh, what others weren't doing at the time. We came from a very dark family. When I say dark, I'm talking about the light. There was no light in our family, and yet he started going to church. And somewhere down the road, seed was planted in his life, and maybe seed was planted in our life. I don't know how God works everything together, but he did that for us. Amen? So anyway, how in the world did I get there? <laughs> Somebody help me because i got to get my thoughts together here. Okay, let's see. Let, let me just go on. I just, I don't, I can't transition back because I don't know how I got there. But anyway, so anyway, in looking at the pole, in looking at Jesus, oh, that's what I was talking about. So in Sunday school, he may have thought he was just learning about a historical figure. A lot of people go to church and they learn about Jesus, 
But it's different when you see him for who he truly is. And you put your faith in him. And that's what, that's what was happening with, uh, when Jesus was saying, you've got to believe in the Son of Man. And really, that's what the, the, the prescription that God had for the Israelites in the wilderness is you've got to look. And looking with eyes of faith, you will receive. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But verse 2 is real important. For by it, the people of old. Who are the people of old? The Israelites, the ones that we're talking about. By it, the people of old received their commendation. See, we tend to think that they received commendation because of works, because of legalism. No, they too had to have faith. Here it says that the people of old received their commendation just like we do through faith in God. And there's a man in particular called the father of faith in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, that we can look at his life. It says, God, when he promised him a descendant, he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. There's that word look again. Okay? Look toward heaven and number the stars and if you're able, see if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And it's interesting that looking towards heaven, it says, and Abraham believed God. You see, it's not just looking, oh, look at all the stars. No, it's when I see the stars, I see what God promised me. And I believe him. And the Bible says that God counted it to him as righteousness. Doesn't the Bible say, uh, by grace are we saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. By, by faith we, we, we accept and we believe. Paul says, uh, I'm not ashamed of the power of God because it is, the pow- it, is, it is the, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto them uh, that believe. I know that scripture, doggone it. Uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to those who believe. Now, the righteousness of God can also, and really what began the Protestant Reformation is Luther came to a place where he realized it's not righteousness that we attain, it's righteousness that we receive. And how do we receive it? By faith. You just believe God. Well, what do I have to do when I go to Mexico? Everybody that wants to get something from God, I'm not talking about everybody, but it's kind of built into the religious culture there. Well, I'm going to walk on my knees uh, for three kilometers till I get to the church, or I'm going to do this and punish myself until I get to this, or, or whatever, and maybe God will hear my prayer. No, it's not works. It's faith. It's believing in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Abraham believed, and it was uh, counted unto him as righteousness. So what we see here is the real understanding of looking towards the pole was to look with eyes of faith. As people of faith, that's you and I, the Bible reveals to us what we should be looking at, and we're going to be doing that in a moment, but first, the Bible also reveals to us the things that we should not be looking at. So... That's point two, and there's a couple of sub-points under this. What are we not to look at? First one is, we are not to do what Eve did 
which is to look at the wrong tree. There were two trees in the garden. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said you can eat from the tree of life, but you're not supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there is a serpent that came into the garden, and what did he want Eve to do? To look at the tree that she couldn't have. Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she, and I'm adding this in there, but if you had a study Bible, it would tell you this, she violated God's command, and she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her. She wasn't by herself. And he ate. The problem with this tree, as I said before, is she was not supposed to eat from it. When Eve was looking at what she could not have, she began to desire what she could not have. Therefore, when she partook of it, this tree represented a willful choice to violate God's word or God's command. Now, did she know God's word? Yes. There was only one command given. Don't eat from the tree, right? That's all she had to do. I can do a lot of things. I just can't eat from the tree. There was only one. Did she know it? Yes, she knew it. Therefore, this tree that she understood was not something she was going to supposed to partake of. When she partook of it, uh, it represented her disobedience. It represented her unbelief toward what God said she could do and what she couldn't do. She didn't believe God. Who did she believe? She believed the serpent. And by the way, I want to tell you something. Uh, we are all... See, the, word, the world wants to teach you that you, uh, it's, it's opposing if you're a person of science, then it's different than a person of faith. But what they don't tell you is that oftentimes as a scientist in today's world, you've got to have more faith than a believer does. Right? Because you ain't seen these things. You, you just, they're theories, you know, we can't prove them. But we have faith that it's the way we think it is. And what we don't realize as people is that we think, well, I don't have any faith. No, you have faith. You just have faith in what the serpent is telling you. You have faith in what the world is telling you. You have faith in what the people around you are telling you. You have faith in what the voice is telling you. You're putting your faith in something. You're just not putting your faith in God. And the reason you're doing that is because the thing in front of you is more real to you than what God has said in your life. Now, it's one thing if we don't know the Word of God, but as people, we should know the Word of God. If we don't know the Word of God, it behooves us to learn it. But once we know the Word of God, it doesn't eliminate the devil and the serpent from our lives. He still comes along and tries to convince you that God's Word isn't true. And you get to choose where you're going to put your faith. And so unbelief is not having a lack of faith. In reality, it's putting your faith in the wrong thing. 1 John 2, 15 through 16, the Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. 
And what happens is, as believers, is often, oh, well, let me get there, let me finish the scripture, and I'll get to that. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, that's important. Whoever does the will of God. The will of God is opposed to the ways of the world. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're telling you right now, it is opposed to many of things that are in the world. The world will tell you, go ahead and do it. God understands. But that's the enemy speaking to you through the things of the world. Oh, you, you can get right with God later if there is a God. Or you can repent on your deathbed if there is a God. And you don't know if you're going to get that freedom. You don't know if you're going to get that privilege. How many people that we know of today, we thought were going to be with us for a long time and they're not here anymore. Because maybe they thought they were going to have a long life. Maybe they thought they were going to have the opportunity at the end of their life to make things right with God. Maybe they thought, I'll put that off to the end. And I want to tell you something, none of us are promised that. So what do, what do I encourage you to do? Stop looking, if you're a Christian, at the wrong tree. Don't look at, which the enemy wants you to do, don't look at the things that the enemy is trying to tell you that you can do and you know that God has said that's not right for you. The second thing we don't want to look at is we don't want to be like Lot's wife and look back. Genesis 19 and 17. And as they brought them out, the angels of God were sent to rescue Lot and his wife and his family. And as they brought them out, one of the angels said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. Lot and his family were being led out of a place of destruction. And the instruction given to them was not to look back at what you lost. Lot's wife did, however, look back towards Solomon, much like the Israelites looked back to Egypt. When things get difficult with God, what was the challenge today? Keep going. Yes, it's nice when God is a God of the valley. You get all healed up and all that kind of stuff, but sometimes you're going to have to climb, and when you climb, persevere. Don't quit. And I want to tell you something. The Christian life is not always easy. A lot of people equate serving God with being easy. And that's not true. Oftentimes serving God is harder than not serving God. Because now the enemy is coming against you to keep you from fulfilling the purpose and destiny of God in your life. Right? But you say, oh, well, why would I want to serve God? Well, I have good news for you. God lives inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that lives in the world. He's already told us, fight the good fight of faith. He's not going to tell us to fight something we can't win. And the good news is, we've already won. We just got to keep going. Don't quit, right? But anyway, what happens is, when they're being led out, the instruction is, don't look back at what you've lost. Lot's wife looked back, much like the Israelites looked back to Egypt. When things got difficult for the Israelites in Egypt, they said, oh, that we were back in Egypt. Because now Egypt looked pretty good to them. But they forgot that in Egypt they were slaves. They didn't know if they were going to have enough to eat. 
They didn't know if their children were going to be going into slavery. They didn't know, they didn't know if they were going to have children. If they have a male child, we're going to put him in the river and he's going to, be, he's going to die. But now in the middle of the, of, the, of the desert, whenever things are a little bit difficult, oh, that we were back in Egypt. And you know that's what happens when you're walking with God and things get a little bit difficult. The enemy comes along or he sends somebody along that he's using for a voice and said, hey, let's go do this. Remember when we used to do this and it was so much fun? That's a lie. What you're doing is you're looking back. And what happened when Lot's wife looked back? The Bible says, but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. In other words, she just dried up. Her life left her. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians. You know, the life of God is in us. And what happens, we start fondly looking back to what we left behind, what we thought was so good. We forgot how things really were. And the enemy convinces us to go back. And the next thing you know, we dry up. Don't look back. Jesus said in Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Obviously, what we're talking about is a temptation to look back towards what we've given up following after God. Oftentimes, when things get difficult, the enemy is right there to paint a picture of how good things were. Philippians 3, 13 through 16, Paul said, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Have you ever noticed that these runners and these marathon runners, uh, they may look to the left and right and see who's there with them, but they don't run looking backwards. They run looking towards the goal. If they're sprinters, they don't even look at the people on the left and the right. They keep their eyes on that ribbon, and they run, and they run, and they run, and they keep their eyes on the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You're not going to be effective trying to run like this. You're going to stumble, and you're going to fall. You're going to veer off the track. You're going to be disqualified. But if you'll keep your eyes on the prize, you don't have to be the fastest. You just got to cross the finish line. Paul said, I let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, anyone think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. And the third thing we don't want to look at is we don't, the Israelites looked at the giants. Numbers 13, 31 through 33. Now remember, the word look here is not, well, I see the problem. We're not saying that you don't see the problem. Is that when you begin to put your faith in the problem. And what the problem is telling you, instead of God and what God is telling you. Numbers 13, 31 through 33. The men who had gone up with him, uh, the, Caleb and Joshua, the spies, came back and said, We're not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. They brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we've gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it of a great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. How you see yourself is how the enemy's going to see you. Because you're going to tell him, I feel like a grasshopper in your sight, and he's going to say, okay, well, I got it over you, because you are a grasshopper in my sight. But if you say to him, he, uh, uh, if God be for me, who can stand against me? Greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. Well, he ain't not going to want to confess that, is he? 
The Nephilim, or the giants, represented the natural obstacles to believing God and attaining what he had promised. Matthew 13, 20 through 21, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when, it doesn't say if, it says when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. I want to tell you something. Anytime you get a promise from God, you, God speaks something to you, you're always going to be challenged in that area of your life. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately the one who was sown on rocky ground, the soil on rocky ground, falls away. When it gets hard, when it doesn't look like it's going to happen, I just stop going to church. I stop reading my Bible. I'll stop hanging around my Christian friends. I just stop. Why? Because it's too hard. Everybody's got to press through the difficulties. How many of y'all started a new, a new uh, outlook on life, a new way of looking at your eating this year? <laughs> How many of you know that I'm excited about it? I'm ready to go until you have to curb your first meal and every time you start a diet that's when you get invited over to a luxurious feast and if the temptation is so hard it is so difficult I can't do it I'll do it next year I'll do it tomorrow I'll do it the next day but I'm not going to do it today because persecution is arising tribulation is becoming too difficult and so I don't think I'm going to stay with it. I don't think I'm going to stick with it. Now, obviously, I'm using a, a um, hyperbole, but I want you to understand. It's, it's, it's how we do the Christian life. You will be challenged when you decide to stand with God. We're not saying that you shouldn't go to a dermatologist. I, I'm not necessarily equating with that. What Esther decides to do is what Esther decides to do. But standing on the promises of God will require oftentimes that we press through some challenges. Matthew 7, 24-25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. We think going to church is going to change your life. Going to church has the potential to change your life, but you can go to church, hear the Word of God, and not do it. And if you hear the Word of God and you don't do it, you're not like the wise man that built his house on a rock. You're like the foolish man that built his house on the sand. Because the, the wise man is the one who hears the Word of God and does them, and, and the rain fell. It didn't say it only fell on the foolish one. It fell on everybody. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house. But it did not fall, because it was securely tied to the rock. See, the strength is not in you. The strength is in God. And our goal is to tie ourselves to the Lord. Now, Mark 11, 22 through 24, uh, uh, Bobby quoted this, and, and uh, it says, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. I like the translation that says, have the God kind of faith. What does that look like? Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up. What is a mountain? It is a problem. Problems are going to be there. They're going to be in your way. What do you do when you have a problem? You turn around and you go back to Egypt? No. What do you do when there's a problem? You ignore the problem. You build a house there because you can't get beyond the problem. A lot of people do that, but it's not what we're supposed to do. 
What do you do when there's a problem? You recognize it ain't of God. You recognize that you can't do anything about it, but God can. But he needs you to stand up and declare the word of God to the problem. And he says, whoever says to this mountain, this problem, be taken up and thrown into the sea. I command this cancer in the name of Jesus to be uprooted by the roots and to go back to the pit of hell where you came from. And does not doubt in his heart. But that believes what he says will come to pass. It doesn't say he will make it happen. It says it will be done for him. Who does it? The Lord. What do we do? We stand by faith. We declare by faith. We, we stand against the problem by faith. We believe God. Now going to the doctor does not mean you don't believe God. You can go to the doctor believing God, and you can go to the doctor not believing God. You can go to the doctor believing God, hear what the doctor says, and come out in unbelief. Or you can go to the doctor believing God, they tell you what the problem is, and you still believe God. It has nothing to do with whether you go to the doctor or not. It has to do with what's in here. The Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the well springs of life. Are you looking at the problem? Are you looking at the issue? Or are you looking at God? And I think the last point is, what are we supposed to look at? And we're going to end here. I just have a, uh, really, if I were to tell you, what are we supposed to look at? And there was a one word, uh, what would it be? Jesus. Okay, we can go home now. But I'll, I'll give you the rest of the story. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So you look on Jesus, who is the Word. Psalms 119 and 18 says, Open my eyes, David says, that I may see wondrous things from your law, from your word. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, who is this word? Jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the word? Jesus is the word made flesh Matthew 13 and 15 for this people heart has grown dull and with their eyes they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes hear with the ears understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them in other words it's not just a book of literature it's not just a book of Proverbs it's not just a nice saying this is the word of God and when I put my faith in the word of God I experience the power of God's word in my life it's Proverbs 4, 22 through 22. This actually, I just quoted this. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Remember, the point of this is what am I supposed to be looking at? For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. As you give attention to the word of God, faith rises in our hearts. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What have you been looking at? Why, my faith is growing weak. Why? What have you been looking at? 
The Bible says, look to Jesus, who is the Word of God. If you're not where you need to be, look on Jesus, the Savior. And really, I could have a bunch of points here. I'm just going to focus on two. Jesus is the Word, but Jesus is our Savior. John 3, 13 through 15, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 3 and 5, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You're born into the world and you're born into the kingdom. You're born into the world because of a mother and a father who, who came together and, and there was a seed that was implanted and nine months later you came out. You were born of water because you were carried in a sack of water. When the water burst, you came out. Well, how do I get into the kingdom of God? The way you get into the kingdom of God is you must be born again. How do I get born again? It's being born of the Spirit. The Bible says in Acts 16 and 30 through 34, there was a man said, what must I do? He says to be saved, but you can understand it the same way. What must I do to be born again? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Remember, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family, and they brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household because they had believed in God. Romans 10, 9 and 13, if you want to get to the specifics, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, by the way, there's something I need to, uh, one caveat, a lot of people confess that Jesus is their Savior, but that's not what the scripture says. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. See, a lot of people want Jesus to be their Savior, but they don't want Jesus to be their Lord. I want you to give me a ticket to get to heaven, but I don't want you telling me what to do. But I want you to know if you will, if you will sign up, forgive the metaphor, as Jesus is Lord, then you will never have a problem getting to heaven. If you only accept Jesus as your Savior, I can't promise you that one day you're going to get to heaven. Because you're not serving Jesus for who He is, you're serving Jesus for what you can get out of Him. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, we've got within this congregation now, we've got quite a few different uh, ethnicities. We have whites, we have blacks, we have Hispanics, we have Filipinos. It doesn't matter. We have men, uh, genders, we have women, we have children, we have senior adults. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, as far as uh, 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 old, young, rich, poor. We have wealthy people, unwealthy people, you know, just regular people. We have all. It says, it doesn't say you have to be a certain thing. It says everyone, and everyone includes every single person, place, rush, uh, race, race, uh, uh, gender, uh, uh, age group, everyone who ever calls on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Amen. You look on Jesus 
as your Savior, but also you can look in Jesus as your healer. So you know I could have said, look on Jesus as your Lord, look on Jesus as your Savior. I'm just highlighting these two this morning because I believe there might be people here this morning that you need to get right with God. There might be people here this morning that you need, you need freedom, you need to be healed, whether it's emotionally, uh, mentally, physically. Jesus is your healer and he's in the house this morning. Well, what do I got to do? Look on Jesus, the healer. Yes, you've got an issue. Yes, you've got a problem. But don't look at your problem and believe what your problem is saying. Look on Jesus and believe what he is saying. Numbers 21, 8 through 9 is what we started with. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who was bitten. Now, remember, they weren't being bitten by snakes that don't have poison. <laughs> they, were being, they were called fiery serpents because when they got bit, they were on fire. Because the poison was moving through their veins. Right? And so what did Jesus say? Everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Now, why did he tell them that they were going to live? Because the prognosis without doing that is they were going to die. And he didn't say, hey, make sure you call the EMT and get the right antidote. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. They didn't have that. What they had was the Word of God. What they had was God's solution to their problem. And he said, Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And here's what's interesting. If a serpent bit anyone, if that person would look at the bronze serpent, he would live. So what is God manifesting here? His provision of healing for his people. And how do you access that provision of healing? By faith. You've got to believe God and you've got to believe his word. Isaiah 53 and 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, if you've got some emotional trauma, if you've got some emotional things, uh, 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 things going on in you, with your mind, you're, being, you're going through battling discouragement, depression, I want you to know that Jesus paid a price for your healing. But it's not just for that. He also paid a price for your physical healing. Well, I'm going to use the same scripture, but I'm going to interpret it the way Matthew interpreted whenever he quoted the scripture in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. How many? All. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 and 5. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So what was happening was they understood what the word of God was that Jesus took our illnesses and he bore our diseases and the people would come to Jesus in faith and when they came to Jesus in faith because Jesus carried and paid a price for their sicknesses and diseases, people were healed. Acts 10 and 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went around doing good and healing some. Healing most. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Can I tell you that same Jesus is in the house? All the promises of God are yes. There is no partiality. There is no favoritism with God. And you say, well, if the promises are the same, and if God is the same, and he's here today, what prevents me from receiving from God? Nothing. Only unbelief. Only a lack of faith. Well, what if I put my faith in God and it doesn't happen? Well, I can tell you what will surely happen if you don't put your faith in God. You won't receive. 
But if you put your faith in God, God's word is true. Now, I can't promise you you're not going to have to receive a prayer more again and at another time. But I can promise you that God is faithful. He is faithful. And if you'll put your trust in God, He will not disappoint you. You may not get everything you want, but if you got Him, you got the most important thing. So to conclude, in Numbers, it said the Israelites were to look at the pole. Jesus equated looking with believing. What the, somebody has a tongue or a prophetic word. I, I just feel like the Lord just re- revealed that to me. So um, Jesus equated looking with believing. What the Israelites were displaying when they looked on the pole was faith. In the same way, we are to look upon Jesus, the word made flesh, with eyes of faith. I would encourage you today to put your faith in God. Put your faith in His Word. Put your faith in Jesus. He is here. And if you look upon Him with eyes of faith like the Israelites, you too can experience Him as your Savior and you can experience Him as your healer because He is faithful.